Hello, and welcome back to It's a Very Exciting Time, a podcast by a UFO nerd and its tolerant friend. My name is Scott, and I've been fascinated by the phenomenon my whole life. And my name is Chuck. I'm an aerospace nerd and a tolerant friend. We started this podcast because since 2017, there have been shocking revelations from news of secret Pentagon programs to confirmed Navy videos of astonishing craft. In a nutshell, now that the government has admitted that UFOs are real, <clears throat> or at least that the videos were authentic, <laughs> it raises a natural question. If UFOs are real, what else? Suddenly, some of these other parts of the phenomenon that seemed unlikely are pulled into the realm of the possible. Right? They may still be unlikely, but there's so many explanations for these stories. Even if the truth is more mundane than you're hoping, if any of it turns out to be true, whoo <laughs> It's a very exciting time. Uh, man. Chuck, uh, before we get into it, I, I have to say, um, every time we record, uh, we start out by recording the intro, even though yeah. we use a pre-recorded version of it for the final yeah. edit. Right. Um, so we're always kind of giggling and laughing and like putting emphasis on weird words and stuff. But um, one of the things that cracks me up is we talk about like, oh, if UFOs are real, what else? You know, blah, 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 yeah. blah. And right. I, I feel like I put a little more sauce on it every time. Do you watch the show um, The Curse of Oak Island or The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch on History Channel? <laughs> no, but we've talked about it so often that yeah. I feel like I have. <laughs> <laughs> so they're both fun shows. I don't know if I would yeah, say yeah. that they've got anything going on, but uh, they both share a narrator this History Channel dude named yeah. uh, Robert Klotzworth, Klotzberry, okay. I think. I should know his name. Good name. Uh, because uh, <laughs> he has this very distinctive voice. And with Oak Island in particular, there's a lot of things <laughs> like, they'll dig up a brass button. And someone's like, how old could this be? And the guy's like, well, they've been making brass buttons since the 1300s, mate. Like, And then the narrator <laughs> comes in like, could it be? Were people on Oak Island in the 1300s? Like, no, man, it's just a no, bomb. Like, of course they weren't. <laughs> but, but that could it be has become my favorite thing. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, I actually uh, found that guy on Cameo and had him record a happy anniversary message for my parents because my mom's super <laughs> into it. That's amazing. I should share it with you sometime. It's pretty yeah, funny. Absolutely. My mom was thrilled. My dad was tolerant. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good it's good to have a tolerant friend <laughs> it is okay man uh so today uh i don't know if uh i don't know how aware of this you are Did, were you aware that there was a congressional ufo hearing this week i mean kind of superficially but the last time you brought it up you said it was going to be on april fools so i kind of dismissed it uh, did i say it was going to be on april fools or maybe I said it was. I don't remember. You can remember <laughs> things like this anyways. Maybe we talked about it on April Fool's. <laughs> yeah, that, that actually sounds right. Um, anyways, All right. so well, there was anyway, a hearing. Uh, there was a hearing. Uh, and uh, I was going to say, it feels like we haven't recorded in a month because we haven't recorded we in haven't. a month. Because <laughs> yeah. two weeks ago, yeah. we sat down to record and I had to call you and be like, Chuck, I, I can't. I can't I, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm not yeah. ready. So we oh skipped last session. I'm right there with you. Uh, and that turned out to be a blessing because yeah. like the next day, news mm. dropped that they were going to do a big UFO hearing. Oh, and okay. so it has been cool. a wild ride. So 
I take it for the way you mentioned that you were kind of vaguely aware that there was a hearing, that you're not super plugged into the context around all of this. Is that no, no. Yeah. Hit me with it. All I'm right. ready. So I'm going to take you on a journey. Oh, a word <laughs> <about> story. <laughs> a word story. Uh, yeah. So I, I had a hell of a time getting ready for this show because, you know, the hearing happened and I was gathering links the whole time. Mm -hmm. And then I had to sit down and like read all of these articles and watch the right. hearing and listen to some podcasts and, and try to kind of pull together a narrative in my head of like, what is the yeah. story of these hearings? How do I talk to yeah, Chuck right. about this? Um, and I'm glad I did that. It was a lot of work, but um, I, I was, I was able to extract a, a narrative thread, uh, which I, I hope will be enough to bring you along on this weirdly political journey we're about to go on. <laughs> so so I, uh, before we start, I have to ask, yeah. um, in the beginning, when we started this, you were like, oh, this is great. Now I just get to like knowledge, like knowledge dump all the time. And <laughs> now are you like, that was like passive absorption. Now you're like, oh, fuck, I got to go out and like actually read all these things. And like, uh, <laughs> is this still working for you? Uh, it, it is. So it, okay. let me be clear. Yes, there is less our our conversations are less casual and unstructured than perhaps they used to be before we were recording them for posterity. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, basically, uh, I sit down and write a term paper every two weeks. Now, it's oh not gosh. that bad because, yeah. you know, like the term paper is in the form of an outline that's full of quotes that I want to reference mm -hmm. and links for the show notes and stuff like that. What I'm really doing is preparing my thoughts so that I can speak somewhat extemporaneously to you while referencing my okay. notes. I think that work is worth it, but I'm not going to lie to you. It is stressful. In case of point two weeks ago, I was like, I can't, I can't yeah. do it right now. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I so. got it. Have, have you started integrating like GPT into your workflow yet? No. Okay. I'm, I'm really digging the uh, know, jazz man. it up. Like, Take this here's, thing, here's uh, the problem. Yeah. If I could actually ask GPT to like give me a coherent summary of something and trust anything it said, sure. But yeah. GPT lies all the time. Like it just yeah. makes stuff up and it says it with it such does. confidence yeah. that you would never question it. Like yeah. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. All GPT right, four is so, a lot better, but that's not what we're here for. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe maybe we can uh, start a an AI podcast in the off oh weeks, and God, you can be no. the one to write a term paper. Uh, <laughs> okay, carry on. I wish you could see the face that Chuck is making right now. He looks physically pained at the idea. Yeah, yeah, that sounds horrible. Uh, I really very much prefer interrupting you and uh, making fun of you while you you recite your term paper. It's much better for me. <laughs> while I recite my term paper, that's exactly it. Speaking of, I better get going. This is a long one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to rewind the clock a little bit to set the context for why these hearings happen. Um, and the kind of through line for this section is Congress, and in particular, Senator Gillibrand, is pissed. <laughs> so... Uh, you may remember in our last episode, I mentioned that there was this bipartisan letter that a bunch of senators wrote to the Department of Defense asking, uh, yo, what the fuck is up with all the funding for Arrow? 
Yeah. So that letter was written by Senator Gillibrand and Marco Rubio and signed by like 14 other dudes. Um, mm -hmm. And it was a pretty pointed letter. It was kind of like, hey, yeah. you know, we told you that this office needed funding. It, that funding did not materialize. Please see the attached classified appendix to this letter with the specific breakdown of the dollar amounts we're requesting and why we're requesting them. And please get back to us at your earliest convenience. Now, as, as congressional measures go, a strongly worded letter has about the impact you would expect, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's more of a warning shot. Uh, yeah. And it became clear that Senator Gillibrand in particular was not given this up. Um, on March 8th in a hearing, uh, Senator Gillibrand asked uh, the Director of National Intelligence, April Haynes, about Arrow funding. Um, by the way, if anybody is kind of just joining us, I'm sorry, there's going to be a ton of acronyms today. Chuck, feel free to ask if I'm glossing over an acronym. Arrow yeah. is the new UAP investigative body yeah. set up by the Congress that is part of DOD, but kind of has a particular bent and mission to yeah. uh, destigmatize and be more transparent about it than what's currently happening. Yeah, um, thank you. So Senator Gillibrand turns to DNI Haynes and she says, "Is the Arrow Office fully funded in your budget?" And DNI Haynes says, "Yes, I believe it is." And Gillibrand you says, believe? "Can you make sure? Because it was left off last year for both the DoD and intelligence budgets." <laughs> and huh. Avril Haynes looks a little nervous and kind of looks at her paper. She goes, right, uh, so it is in DOD. I, I think our support is funded in the national intelligence. I'll, I'll check to make sure. Uh -huh. This is a running theme of these people, like, Gillibrand will ask kind of a leading question, and they'll give her kind of a, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it answer, and then she kind of comes in with the hammer, like, no, yeah. man. You didn't fund it. It is not funded, yeah. and you need to fix it. That's Senator Gillibrand talking to the Director of National Intelligence. Yeah, like, I, mean, I kind yeah. of love the power dynamic here. I know that senators aren't nobody, right? Like, they, yeah. they've got power in the system and everything. But it kind of feels like in a room with the DNI and a senator, the, the power balance is kind of <laughs> tipped towards the DNI. Maybe I'm misperceiving yeah. that, but it's always kind know. of funny to me when senators are like, let's get one thing straight, buddy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You're in my right. house. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was March 8th. So February 16th, they send the letter. A few weeks later, on March 8th, she uh, aggressively questions DNI Haynes. Uh, and then a few weeks later, again, on March 28th, uh, Senator Gillibrand is in front of the Secretary of Defense and nails him about Arrow funding. Um, so the Secretary of Defense is a guy named Lloyd Austin. Um, and sitting at the table with him is one of the undersecretaries of defense, this guy named McCord. So she addresses the question at McCord. She says, uh, I was disappointed that for the second year in a row, Arrow was not fully funded in the department's budget request. Can you discuss why Arrow was not fully funded? And McCord, like, literally starts, like, shuffling papers and looking nervous. He's like, uh, Senator, um, I don't have any information from my colleague, Undersecretary Moultrie, that he needed additional funding in this area. Um, it's a relatively new office we're standing up. So I, I was under the impression that we have adequate funding for the 
uh, relatively new state of this, but uh, I'll, I'll double back with him if there's a concern. Yeah. She leans forward and like points at him and says, I need you to send a letter to this committee in writing about why it wasn't fully funded. Several senators okay. signed a letter to Secretary Hicks asking that it be fully funded in this budget, and we specified in a classified annex exactly what funding wasn't being met and its operational funding. So I'm highly concerned about this. Secretary yeah, right? Austin. So she like doesn't even give him a chance to answer. She just turns the barrel on his uh -huh. boss, now talking directly yeah. to the Secretary of Defense. Secretary Austin, do you intend to ensure that Arrow receives full funding in the future? This dude, I, I gotta look him up real fast. Secretary yeah. Lloyd Austin, because he's a high-ranking military guy. Uh, yeah, you have to be. Is... Oh, maybe he's not. No, yeah, he is. Yeah, he's a general. Yeah. So anyway, this like fully decorated general sitting at the table across from her, she suddenly turns her attention on him. Like, how about you? Yeah, right. <laughs> Do you intend to ensure that we get the funding? He goes, uh, I, I will, Senator. And uh, we, in this budget, we've asked for $11 million in support of this office. Now, I love this. This is not his first time dealing with politics. He came ready. He had a number. Yeah. yeah. Gillibrand was not deterred. That is not the budget request. <laughs> Will you investigate <laughs> why the budget request isn't being met and be part of the response to that? Uh, I will. <laughs> okay. Cool. Got it in writing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Gillibrand's pissed and like yeah. she sends a letter she brings it up in multiple hearings she chews out the dni and the secretary of defense like i kind of love her on this yeah uh, senator senator Brand is uh one of my favorites now um so <laughs> very quickly from that point uh around then we start hearing rumors that there are going to be hearings uh on april 4th the Liberation Times, which, by the way, you asked me at one point, like, Liberation Times, like, yeah, is that, like, a reputable source? Okay, Liberation Times is an independent publication. Okay. Uh, it is run by one guy, and his specific bent is to bring, uh, like, good investigative journalism to the UAP topic. And okay. this is kind of the only way to do it, because unless you're a Leslie Kane with an in at the New York Times, the big publications don't really touch this topic. So hmm. he is doing it himself. What I will say is, after you asked, I kind of went back and looked. This guy's broken a ton of stories. He is doing the reporting that no one else is doing. He has sources that nobody else is getting. He's consistently bringing accurate information. So, yes, it is a small, independent, UFO-focused public publication. And... Okay. You know, you are you are free to take a any degree of skepticism towards that you want. Sure, but I will yeah. say I have some degree of faith based on the recording he's been doing. Um, so he had a story go up on April 4th, said Congress prepares for UFO hearings as frustrations escalate among politicians. Uh, so I got two quotes here. Uh, first of okay. all, he said, according to multiple sources, members of committees such as the Senate's Intelligence Committee have heard testimony from whistleblowers about the existence of legacy UAP programs hidden from Congress 
which have been verified to some extent. However, Congress remains frustrated with the lack of cooperation and forthcomingness from elements within the intelligence community and the Pentagon on this matter. That one quote kind of encapsulates where I think Congress was at. They set up this whistleblower protection so that people could come talk to Congress and could talk to Arrow. But it was a little confusing because we were hearing people were testifying to Congress and separately we were hearing people were testifying to Arrow. And we'll get to the reasons why later, but basically it was a little unclear. But the vibe we're getting is people are coming in and talking to Congress. They're telling them stories like, hey, I worked in this program. I saw this. I witnessed this. And they're not hearing that shit from Arrow. Mm. They're not hearing that shit from the DOD. They're hearing this from witnesses. So they're getting testimony that things are happening, that right. things exist, that there are crash retrieval programs and stuff. And then, you know, the Pentagon's like, yeah, it's all balloons. We shot down a balloon over Alaska. Mm. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Go home. Yeah. Right. Like, mm, hold on. Hang on. So, like yeah. I said, the, the theme here is kind of rising frustration among yeah. Congress. Um, Oh, the second one's not a quote. But uh, also in the article, he broke the news that Congress was preparing for multiple UAP hearings in both the Senate and the House due to their growing frustration with the DOD and the intelligence community's foot dragging. Okay. Now, this was a rumor you and I had been hearing for a while. I've mentioned to you the idea that they wanted to do more UAP hearings. I've mentioned the idea that maybe they were kind of being kicked down the road until the January 6th stuff was over. Um, right. So we we kind of had a sense this was coming, but yeah. I don't know about you. Like I'm always a little pessimistic about. It. I'm like, yeah, we'll we'll see when we see. But all of a sudden, it's like, right. oh shit! It, it's it's actually it's looks happening. like it's happening. Yeah. So very quickly, uh, this was confirmed. Uh, Senator Gillibrand was going to chair an open hearing on UAP in the Emerging Threats and Capabilities Subcommittee of the Senate Armed Services Committee. So she's on the Senate Armed Services Committee, and there's a subcommittee on emerging threats. That subcommittee is going to be holding a hearing. Uh, The only person being questioned at that hearing will be Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, the director of Arrow. Um, The word leaked that he was going to be bringing evidence to the hearing, including photos and videos of UAPs, and specifically that the hearing would not be about balloons and the recent shootdown events, but more on Arrow's ongoing UAP investigations. Um, and then the last thing that was confirmed was that it was going to be an open hearing that would be preceded by a closed door classified hearing. Which okay. is unusual. Usually it goes the other way. Um, hmm. And the rumor so they can was ask that that pointed was... questions afterwards, that kind of deal. Yeah. Well, okay. the, the rumor is that the reason they flipped the order here is a lot of times what happens is in the public hearing, they get away with not answering the questions by saying, I'll address that in the classified hearing. <laughs> so, um... no, we already had the classified hearing, buddy. Answer the question. <laughs> Like, you already told me what I need to know. The class right here. This one's for the public. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, So there was 
another article on Liberation Times a couple weeks later on April 18th. Um, and it was called Make or Break Time for Kirkpatrick as UFO mm -hmm. Senate Hearing Approaches. And the kind of running theme of this article was uh, Sean Kirkpatrick is in the hot seat. Like, Remind Congress me is who not, Kirkpatrick is? He's the director of Arrow. Okay, all right, thank you. Yeah. Um, so there, and and remember, we're, we're interpreting all of this. There were rumors yeah, the right. whole time that Kirkpatrick is not doing his job. Someone was saying he hasn't shown up for work in six months. Um, we were hearing rumors that there was nobody working in the office, that they had no mm. employees, that they were underfunded, that they weren't right. requesting funding. Um, a while ago, Sean Kirkpatrick co-wrote a scientific paper with Abby Loeb talking about like UFO motherships and probes, which at the same time kind of like set the community on fire because he mentioned mothership, <laughs> but also yeah. like it kind of felt like an effort to kind of tamp things down. Like, hey, 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 we can't just go rogue and make up new science. These things right. have to obey the laws of science until we can confirm that they don't. So there was a perception in the community that Sean Kirkpatrick is doing the thing we were all a little afraid he was going to do, that he was going to come in and act like he was starting from zero. No one has ever investigated UFOs before. We don't know how to do it. We've got to spin yeah. up processes and, they, you know, like, there's no data. And, like, yeah, well, right. we know that you've been running a UFO program in the government for years. Like, the, yeah. you're not starting from scratch. Anyway, the article had a couple banger quotes in it. So, first of all, it said, okay. four months on from the passing of NDAA 2023, Liberation Times understands that there are frustrations over a lack of progress made by the Arrow. For instance, no mechanism exists for witness for whistleblowers to come forward. Not one phone number, email address, or contact hmm. has been given to anyone wishing to come forward. Wow. Which, yeah, that's a little surprising because that was one of the yeah. things that was mandated in the creation of the office, that there be right. a means for the public to get in touch with them. Right. Now, we've heard that whistleblowers are testifying to them, but one of the things people were saying was, oh, man, it it doesn't feel great. It kind of feels like they're cherry picking who they talk to. It's more like mm. they're calling people instead of letting people come to them. That makes sense. Um, okay. So, you know. The public is certainly frustrated with that. Is Congress feeling the same way? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Liberation Times is aware that certain whistleblowers have separately spoken with Congress and Dr. Kirkpatrick. However, if Kirkpatrick failed to inform Congress about these whistleblowers approaching the arrow, it could pose a significant challenge to congressional oversight. Congress... Mm -hmm may now be monitoring Kirkpatrick's actions closely after being made aware of these conversations, albeit not through the era. Now, yeah. if this kind of implication feels like it came out of left wing, I need you to understand that's not because I'm selectively quoting and you're missing some context. It came out of left wing in the article too. There was no hmm. indication that Kirkpatrick has gone rogue or is withholding. He just mentions if he is 
And oh, okay, sure. yeah, given the supposition that Kirkpatrick is withholding information, Congress would be pissed. Is he withholding information? Do you have any indication? Now, I don't think he would have put that in the article if he had zero indication, but he certainly didn't provide any like context mm. or proof or anything like that. So I kind of took that yeah. one with a grain of salt. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah and I'm... then lastly, he said, recently, after being probed by Senator Gillibrand, nice pun there, by the way. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Michael J. McCord, the Undersecretary of Defense, seemed to suggest that Ronald Moultrie, the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security, had not relayed any concerns or requests for further funding. So, has Kirkpatrick lobbied Moultrie and other defense officials for more funding? If not, why? Although Moultrie may ultimately be blamed, the action or inaction of Kirkpatrick in calling for more funding may be revealing. After all, right. such funding is vital for him to successfully undertake his duties. Now, there's a little bit of inside baseball here that I don't want to get too into, but long story short, there is a perception in the community and apparently among Congress that Ronald Moultrie, one of the undersecretaries of defense, who on paper Arrow reports to, they're under his command structure, is part of the effort to stonewall. Mm. Uh, he was one of the people that testified a year ago at the previous UAP hearing. He was the one who was always like, oh, I haven't heard of that. Oh, I don't know anything about that. Um, Lou Elizondo reported to him when he was uh, part of ATIP, and he has said that Moultrie was, um, you know, like, just kind of killed information dead, wouldn't run anything up the chain of command. Uh, persecuted whistleblowers, did all these kinds of things. So there's a perception in the community at large that Moultrie is a problem. Interestingly, it seems Congress shares this perception because part of the language when they created Arrow was, we can't tell you that you shouldn't be under Ronald Moultrie. That, that's ultimately a Defense Department decision, how to structure their things. What we can say is, he shall report to Ronald Moultrie's department entirely for administrative purposes and he will report information directly to the secretary of defense so sure. they made this weird carve out in the law that specifically says this office wherever you put it in the org chart ultimately reports directly to the sec dev sure that's fascinating so now we've got a little bit of a vibe that the funding may have been halted by Moultrie not requesting it. Did Moultrie sure. not request it because Kirkpatrick didn't request it? Or did Moultrie interfere in the way that people right. are kind of afraid he should have? Like, what's going on here? Now, right. we already know Gillibrand is on fire about the budget here. <laughs> so everybody is kind of like, okay, there's going to be some rather pointed questions aimed right. at Kirkpatrick during this hearing. Uh, yeah, so I'm about to dive into some community stuff, but before I do that, uh, how, how are you feeling about this? You got any questions, any thoughts? Um, it strikes me that, uh, there are occasions when, um, you have people who have all the qualifications for an advanced thing, um, but are well known to be fairly useless. And... Yeah. I wonder if this was a deliberate, like, choice. Um, Kirkpatrick, uh, you mean? 
Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's, 100%. that's what I'm and thinking about. There right were now. questions about that from day one. Like, hey, they yeah. picked this guy. Why did they pick yeah. him? Because they think that he'll follow orders and not do anything. Did they pick him because mm. he's kind of a stick in the mud? Uh, did they pick him because they thought Congress would like him? Like, yeah, nobody really knows. And Interesting. honestly, this hearing is kind of the first time we've gotten any visibility into who he is a, as a person and how he's running this office um, and whether those fears are just. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. I, I can't imagine how stressful it is to be a director, but, uh, but also just comparing it to um, some of the like executives I've worked with. Uh, mm-hmm. They only had two people in their office like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd be, it wouldn't take two years before there were like press releases or like shenanigans uh, would happen. Um, So yeah, interesting. Okay, carry on. Yeah, Yeah, and you know that things in the military and government go slower than you would like, but even so, it does feel like Arrow's not getting enough done given the time that they have had. And I I think that's kind of driving this congressional frustration of like, hey, you know, like we spun this office up on purpose. We gave you a mandate. We gave you a budget. Yeah. Where the fuck are you? What is what is going on? Right. What's happening? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So that was all of the kind of like well-sourced, clearly documented. Congress is pissed. They're going to be holding hearings. Uh, this next section, I want to talk about the community because as you can imagine, the instant people started talking about hearings, the community went buck wild speculation about what they're going to discuss was all over the map we had people saying oh it's going to be another nothing burger it's going to be a snow job um everybody else like oh they're going to talk about wilson davis this is going to be it this is going to be disclosure with a capital d um there were people who weren't necessarily talking about the hearings but kind of in the context they were like listen i have insider sources that big news is coming in the next six months. Hmm. But there was, there was like nothing attached to it. Like Gary Nolan said, yeah. like, hey, you know, by by the end of summer, we're going to have information that is going to like change the conversation. Hmm. Okay, well, what is what does that mean, Gary? <laughs> like, I love you to death, man, but like this isn't a helpful thing for you to say. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, as long as the UFO topic has been a thing, we've had people saying, like, disclosures just around the corner. Like, trust me, guys, I know someone in government. My cousin yeah. works at Nintendo, and he told yeah, me. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I didn't bring any of that stuff in, but I, I kind of wanted to mention, like, the, the, the scale of froth in the community mm. around this topic was high. Uh, that said, there were a few things that I think are worth talking about. Um, okay. On April 4th, James Fox, uh, you may not recognize this name, yeah. he is a director of several well-regarded UAP documentaries. We're actually going to be okay. talking about him a lot in an upcoming episode about the Virginia Brazil case. Um, okay. Well, but cool. long story short, he's in the news a lot because he is a figure who is well-connected in the UAP community and he tends to have insider information. So. He had an interview where he said he had just come back from D.C. after being there for a couple of weeks, 
And he said that he has heard that multiple whistleblowers have testified to both Arrow and the Senate Intel Committee that UFO crash retrieval programs exist. Hmm. This is going to be a running theme through this. And you're going to hear me repeat that phrase over and over again. And the reason I'm repeating it is we're not hearing this from one or two kind of wackadoo people. We're hearing this from many, many sources that they are hearing testimony that crash retrieval programs exist. Um, At this point, there may or may not be a fire, but there's a ton of smoke. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, yeah. read from that what you will, but there, there's an awful yeah. lot of smoke for there to be no fire. Um, on April 13th, Dr. Gary Nolan was interviewed. Uh, he was asked, because he he's very clear that he knows a bunch of the people who have testified. And the guy who was interviewing said, listen, I know that you can't tell me what the testimony was about or tell me any of these incredible stories. But if you had to kind of put the testimony that you know about into a bucket, like a topic, you Mm. know, like secret government programs, crash retrievals, things like that, what would it be? And Gary looks thoughtful for a second, then he says, crash retrieval and contact. Wow. Okay. Right? (laughs) That's that's exciting. Now, again, he didn't provide a source or anything, but, you know. But it's Gary Nolan. Ross Coltart, who we've talked about a lot, fantastic yeah. Australian investigative journalist, uh, later was speaking about this, and he said he knows Gary personally, has spoken to him, and knows that Gary has spoken with witnesses with inside knowledge of the program. Um, Gary says his perspective on upcoming hearings is positive. He says lawmakers are much more informed about the topic this time around. And what changed is the body language of the DOD's officials sitting in front of them, stonewalling. So this is referring again to that UAP hearing a year ago where they were kind of like, I don't know. Um, Gary is quoted as saying, there is nothing that drives human nature more than being told no when you know the answer should be yes. These politicians know they've been lied to. And they've had enough of it, and they are ready to put the squeeze on. Um, This is another theme we're seeing, is politicians were already heading in this direction, some of them. Not everybody is fully on board with the UAP topic. But enough, there was a little bit of a mass building around this topic. And they were already pissed after last year's hearing. And then the Chinese balloon thing happened. And we talked before about how fucking weird the DOD was being about it. How weird the Biden team was being about it. Like, nobody was doing what you would expect. Like, if it was nothing, come out with the evidence. If it's something, talk about it. But doing this weird song dance with like, oh, I I wouldn't say it was a balloon. Uh, We're we're referring to them as an object. Uh, No, you cannot see the videos. Uh, No, we have not recovered any crash wreckage. Um, No, no, no. They were probably just hobby balloons. Unless they weren't, wink, wink. You know, like, they were so (laughs) weird about it. And I think, honestly, that even more than the hearing a year ago is what really pissed Congress off. And Mm, we went from a handful of agitators like Gillibrand and Rubio to a bunch of people who are like, I don't know if it's aliens, but it's sure as shit something and somebody's lying to us. (laughs) They're pissed, right? 
Yeah. Uh, this is not technically about the hearings, but it happened right in the middle of all of this. The hearing was on April nineteenth. Mm -hmm. On April fourteenth, at an unrelated press briefing, uh, U.S. Space Force Major General Olson spoke on worldwide UAP sightings. I'm going to read this quote. Okay. The UAP task force does involve collaborative inputs and information exchange with all kinds of countries around the globe, because I think these are not just solely actions or events that occur within the confines of the mm -hmm. United States. They have occurred globally. And I think we're collecting that information. We're sharing information. We view that as an open and transparent effort an activity through the United States Congress and executed by our UAP task force office. And so I would encourage greater collaboration and cooperation in that. Uh, wait, wait, what? Yeah, Did a lot the Space Force that. General just come out and confirm that UAP actions are happening globally? Like, that, yeah. That, what? I don't think he meant to do that. And the community kind of went wild. No. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. But yeah. again, in the froth of the community going crazy yep. about these upcoming hearings, they're like, oh my God, did the Space Force just come out and say UAP stuff is happening? Like, what is going on? Yeah. Uh, now, last of all, um, on April 14th, uh, the Need to Know podcast, which is Ross Coltart and his buddy Bryce Sable, uh, put okay. out an episode specifically about the upcoming hearing and talking about what they've heard. Now, um, we've talked about Ross a lot before. Ross is yeah. very well connected. People are very aware that he is on this topic. It is completely reasonable to believe that he has inside sources on yeah. a lot of this stuff. Um, Bryce Zabel, you may not be as familiar with. Um, he is a big Hollywood guy. He was an investigative journalist for a while, but he's been a Hollywood guy a lot longer. Um, okay. He made a pretty famous show uh, a little before X-Files called Dark Skies that was hmm. kind of about a secret UFO group within the government and whether or not that information okay. was kept from the president. He, as a result of that, has been kind of on the fringe of the topic for a while, sure. but since yeah. starting this podcast with Ross is equally connected. People are coming to him as well. So hmm. these are two guys who are pretty straightforward and no nonsense about it. They've talked a lot about the topic and yeah. they have a very visible podcast. So they have people reaching out to them. Um, so I've got three quotes here from Ross that I think are really interesting. Um, speaking about the hearing, Ross says, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic but not that we'll see a breakthrough in this particular hearing because mm, yeah. Mr. Kirkpatrick is a person who I've heard is reluctant to make public admissions about what I frankly know he has been briefed on. I'm yeah. told that Sean Kirkpatrick has been briefed on crash retrievals and on reverse engineering programs happening inside the U.S. I have absolutely no doubt about that. I've heard it from multiple sources. Okay. okay, so again, we're hearing that not just Congress, but also Arrow have been told there are yeah. crash retrieval programs and reverse engineering programs. A little later, he said, you know, I... Ross is so funny because at the same time, he's really agitating for this. He is a true believer. And at the same time, he is yeah. deeply pessimistic about human nature and the yeah. U.S. government in particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
He's like, you know, I, I, I kind of laugh at the whole idea that the U.S. government is going to be bring up officials who are going to allow themselves to be questioned and suddenly reveal the truth of what's going on behind the scenes. I just don't think it's going to come that easily. I think we're going to have to wait for truth tellers, not whistleblowers, truth tellers, to come from within the establishment to reveal more. I know that some of those people have come forward. I know that they've been they have given evidence, particularly to the Senate Armed Services Committee. There have been secret hearings of the committee and other committees where witnesses have given evidence. I know for a fact claims have been made that there is a crash retrieval program and that the U.S. is in possession of non-human technology. The big question now is whether we're going to go through silly theatrics for the next 30 years as people like Dr. Kirkpatrick duck and evade and weave and try to avoid answering the question. Hmm. <laughs> Possibly. Now, again, yeah. Ross is well-sourced. Like, if he's yeah, saying he's right. hearing this, I believe him. But I also yeah. love that he is like, he in no way believes that just because this is true that the government yeah. is going to do the right thing. <laughs> you know, like... Well, yeah. And just because someone briefs them on that doesn't mean that it's compelling evidence or true. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Now, this last quote here is the one that kind of put a damper for me on the hearing because it was the one that really resonated for me. So again, okay. I, I'm, I'm stewing in this. This is in real yeah. time. I'm, I'm, you know, on Reddit every day. I'm on Twitter yeah. every day. I'm listening to these people talking about what's happening, speculating. Everybody's talking about crash retrieval programs and whistleblower testimony. Are they going to yeah. talk about this? Holy shit. Very Ross says, we are certainly not going to hear any fantastic claims from whistleblowers in the hearing on April 19th. Yeah. What I do think is there is probably going to be a hearing before one of the House committees, probably the Oversight Committee or maybe the House Armed Services Committee, that is still being negotiated, that I would be looking at a date around the 13th of June. That's what I'm told. Now, that's interesting. really interesting. So Very Ross, specific. again, has a lot of sources, and he's saying he's hearing that there's going to be another hearing, which is something we've kind of heard from other sources. Yeah, but sure. if there's going to be multiple hearings, suddenly it's not this particular hearing has to be the be-all and end-all. Yeah, and the right. reason I'm sharing that quote is it recontextualized things for me when I was thinking about how angry Gillibrand has been about the budget snafu. Um, yeah. All of the rumors we're hearing that Arrow is not getting stuff done. And Gillibrand mm -hmm. has been asking very pointed questions that are less along the line of, why aren't you doing this? And more about right. what is preventing you from doing this? Yeah. I think Gillibrand is well aware that Kirkpatrick is located in an office within a larger command structure. And sure. he can only do so much. Yeah. Um, so where so is the blocker? Before, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So before I get to the hearing, uh, I think you're 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 well seated now with the context yeah. of everything that was going on, uh, what the mood was like going into this. So the actual hearing happened on April nineteenth. Uh, got any questions? Any thoughts before we dive into that? No, I'm I'm, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm going to read a selection from Gillibrand's opening statement here because I think okay. she did a great job of kind of 
setting the tone. She said, Congress established Arrow to get to the bottom of the very serious problem of UAP. We don't know where they come from, who made them, or how they operate. As Secretary of Defense Norquist observed, if these objects had the label made in China, there would be an uproar in the government and media. There would be no stone unturned and no effort spared to find out what we were dealing with. We can look at the recent incursion of the unidentified PRC high-altitude balloon for mm -hmm. an example. Sure. But because of the UFO stigma, the response has been irresponsibly anemic and slow. Congress established Arrow. We made it clear that we expect vigorous action. We added very substantial initial funding for the office. But despite our best efforts, the president's budgets for fiscal year 23 and 24 requested only enough funding to defray the operating costs of Arrow. It included almost no funds to sustain the critical research and development necessary to support a serious investigation. It took a letter to Secretary Austin from Senator Rubio and me and 14 other senators to get the office temporary relief for the current fiscal year. Hmm. Damn. Yeah. Uh, now, first of all, that's the first time hearing that the funding got solved, even if she's mad about it and points out that it's a temporary right. thing. Like she held the SECDEF's feet to the fire and it yeah. worked. He came through yeah. with funding. So Arrow yeah. now has funding, at least temporarily. Do we know if they have more staff yet? Interestingly, that is another thing that we have not officially heard, but Kirkpatrick okay. did talk about it. In fact, this is the first thing on my notes about Kirkpatrick's testimony. He mentioned Arrow has a team of more than three dozen experts. Oh. Now, I don't know if that is the extent of the team or if he's just speaking about the experts who are reviewing the cases, but the point is, that's the first time we've heard any sense of scope of Arrow that I'm aware of. I have repeatedly yeah. heard that it was like a three-person office, right, you yeah. know, things like that. Um, so they do have a decent team working on it. Um, now, Kirkpatrick opened with a written statement, which I'll link in the document, but it's kind of a nothing burger. The, the meat of his statement is, we're a new office, we're getting up to speed, the, this is challenging stuff, please bear with us, we're doing the best we can. Um, okay. He talks a lot about how hard they have been working. The office is only nine months old. Um, where it got interesting is he starts talking about the UAPs that they are observing. Um, now, I'm just going to kind of like end your speculation here. They didn't talk about whistleblowers at all. Did not mm. come up even worse. What they were focused on was Kristen Gillibrand's like pointed questions about, are you getting the resourcing you need to do your right. job? Because I fucking expect you to do your job. Um, right. And what are you observing and how are you observing it? Um, so he goes on to kind of talk about UAP observations and what their process is. And I actually found this really interesting because... One of the things we've heard about Kirkpatrick is he's a scientist. He's a doctor, first and foremost. And he was not coming into this in a reverse engineering capacity. He was not coming into this in a military defense capacity. He was coming into this in a science capacity of 
there are things out there we don't understand. How do we go about studying them? And I think that's a valid question. Um, so he did do a little bit of tamping down of expectation. He said, I want to underscore today that only a very small percentage of UAP reports display signatures that could reasonably be described as anomalous. The majority of unidentified objects recorded to Arrow demonstrate mundane characteristics of balloons, unmanned aerial systems, clutter, natural phenomena, or other readily explainable sources. While a large number of cases in our holdings remain technically unresolved, this is primarily due to a lack of data associated with these cases. Without sufficient data, we are unable to reach defendable conclusions that meet the high scientific standards we set for resolutions, and I will not close a case that we cannot defend the conclusions of. He talks more about this process later, but I actually find this really encouraging. Hmm. We'll, we'll talk about later, but basically okay. they sort these things into buckets because they only yeah. have so many personnel, so they need to right. prioritize investigation. So he's like, look, if something is drifting through the air with all the characteristics of the balloon and it has no payload, I'm not super, I'm not gonna prioritize that. Now, yeah. if that right. object that's drifting through the air has a payload, I'm more interested in. If that object is moving through the air with a payload and it's maneuvering, I'm extremely interested in it. And sure. So he he kind of apologizes for it, but he's like, look, you know, our first and foremost priority is protection of U.S. assets. So right. anything that looks like it could be a threat rises to the top of the chart. Now, as we'll see later, a lot of the objects that they're looking at don't really meet that criteria. You know, like you've just got something that's kind of zipping around like the Tic Tac, unless it right. rushes a plane or looks like it's carrying a missile or is behaving right. in a particularly anomalous way. He's like, it doesn't really rise to the top of the list. <laughs> you hmm. know? Yeah. So they're not using the like the five characteristics. They're using um, other characteristics. I'm not sure about that. He certainly didn't mention it. It doesn't sound like okay. that, but that doesn't mean that it's not in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, mostly what I think he was trying to do was be like, look, those really weird anomalous ones with the five characteristics are a vanishingly small minority of the reports we get. And Arrow ultimately only operates on the reports that it gets. So if they're not being told about something or if it's not coming to them, they can't investigate. Okay. Um, this next part is really interesting, too. He says, yeah. when previously unknown objects are successfully identified, it is Arrow's role to quickly and efficiently hand off such readily explainable objects to the intelligence or law enforcement communities for further analysis and appropriate action. In okay. other words, <laughs> this is great. This part doesn't appear in his remarks. He totally ad-libbed this, and I love it. This is going to be one of the quotes he goes down in history for. Okay. In other words, Arrow's mission is to turn UAP into SEP, someone else's problem. <laughs> I mean, I, sure. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Later on, he kind of riffs on this. He says, look, I'm not going to go chase the Chinese high altitude balloon, for example. That's not my job, he said. It's yeah. not an unknown. It's not anomalous anymore. Now it goes yeah. over to them. Yeah, totally. You know, that's fair. Great. 
Yeah. I'm glad you know your anomalous job. Anomalous office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he says, I should also, and this is the one that got all the quotes from the, the skeptics. I should also state clearly for the record that in our research, Arrow has found no credible evidence thus far of extraterrestrial activity, off-world technology, or objects that defy the known laws of physics. For those few cases that have been leaked to the public previously and subsequently commented on by the U.S. government, I encourage those who hold alternative theories or views to submit your research to credible peer-reviewed scientific journals. Arrow is working to do the same. That hmm. is how science works, not by blog or social media. Damn, yeah. Sean! Uh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> that is good. He's not wrong, but of course, this is not what the community wants to no, hear, right? Like, oh, you're so smart, write your own scientific paper. <laughs> I mean, he has. He was a chief scientist, so. Yeah, yeah. Now, I will say there is some fair pushback on this. Uh, first of all, yes, we understand only a vanishingly small percentage of the cases behave like this. Those are the ones you're supposed to investigate. <laughs> You're not yeah. supposed to brush them off as like, well, look, 99% of them are mundane. Fine. Ignore the mundane ones and look at the weird ones. That's what you're here for, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, now, he seems to be largely making two points. One, we are a small office with a slow process. We can only investigate things so fast, and we are prioritizing ones that appear to be a threat, which I read as we aren't investigating every weird case. We are investigating yeah. first the ones that look like they might be dangerous, which frankly are probably the less anomalous ones. So mm, yeah. maybe he's got a bent towards this. Um, second of all, he points out that he is constrained by data. Uh, he, he shares a video later where he's like, hey, here's this video. This is all the information we have. Right. I don't have radar. I don't have thermal. I don't have reports on the ground. I just have this one video. I can't really do anything with this. I can yeah. tell you it's weird. It's anomalous. It's in our files. We will track it. But like, I have what do you do almost that? no chance of identifying this. You know. Yeah. So I I sympathize with him on that regard. Right. Like he's been put in the hot seat, and my read on it is he is under some pressure from some factions of the government not to lie but if there's any way he can get some of the heat off their back and show like hey look sure. it's not aliens please do that so yeah, coming out and saying we have found no evidence yet no credible that evidence. there are aliens okay fine but he also later goes on to say of 600 cases we have investigated 30 <laughs> like, yeah okay First of all, you only have 600 cases. And second of all, you've only investigated 30 of them. Like, I don't think you're in any position to be drawing conclusions yet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I read Absolutely. the first three pages of this book and so far the main character hasn't died. So I'm confident. Pretty confident <laughs> like... they're going to be all right. Really? <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah. Um, so he finished his statement. And this is when he actually did something cool. Now, I'm going to... Um, actually, you've got the notes open, right? Uh, yeah, but uh, I don't read them, so I can be surprised. 
that's <laughs> that's fine. Uh, you can click on the link for shared a slide. Uh, this is the slide that he shared. It'll be in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Uh, this slide is genuinely fascinating. Uh, this okay. is... Uh, it yeah. says UAP reporting trends from 1996 to 2023. Uh, it's broken down into three columns. The first one is an infographic that shows reported UAP altitudes. Um, and what we see is everything from... 5k to 100k and you can see that the vast majority of uaps have been reported in the like 10 to 30,000 foot range um on the right side there is a pie chart it says reported uap morphology which i believe is just a fancy word for what it looks like um yeah. and we see that, that well over half of reported uaps are orbs round or spheres and then the rest are kind of like broken down into weird shapes um we've got a map of the globe with uap hotspots, and we can see there's uh a bright hot spot off the east coast of the u.s there's a smaller hot spot off the west coast of the u.s um we've got a little blob in africa a big hot spot in the middle east and a smaller hotspot over near the Sea of Japan. Um, and then huh. in the middle, we've got a chart that says typically reported UAP characteristics. Uh, as mentioned before, they're mostly round. They vary in size from one to four meters. They are white, silver, or translucent. Uh, velocity is stationary to Mach 2. Um, he says most don't have any thermal exhaust and he says they get intermittent radar radio and thermal signatures from them now uh, none of this is it. like you know I, I, definitive but it's interesting yeah no it is um i'm staring at this map and they've got this little spot underneath africa and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um it's if you go to Google Maps, I think that you'll find that there's nothing in that spot. Um, yeah, there's not, there's no like islands in that spot off the coast of like Ghana, um, unless there's a huge like UFO population, Sao Tome. Um, I would be willing island. to bet that what happened was a Navy ship was parked there for a while and there was a flap of sightings that were reported it's there. possible but i have a funnier answer that is okay <laughs> that is the location of null island uh which is the gps coordinates zero zero, zero. Uh, <laughs> that's really funny so this might just be the uh reports that didn't have gps coordinates associated with them got lumped into this one spot <laughs> yeah, yeah i love null island that's that's hilarious um so yeah, he, he talked a little bit about the chart. He basically explained it the way that I just did. Um, he said a couple of interesting things. He said, most UAPs are reported below 25,000 feet because that's where our aircraft that's are. Where people are. Yep. Makes sense. Uh, when he showed out the hotspots on the map, he specifically mentioned, uh, look, this is collection bias. Uh, you're seeing reports from these spots on the map and these altitudes because that's where our sensors are. Yeah. Um, 
I love that he went out of his way to say that, you know, we've talked about that before on the show, right? Like are UFOs unusually interested in uh, nuclear technology and U.S. military assets? Or is it just that those are some of the most heavily surveilled spots on the planet? <laughs> right, yeah. Um, up next, he shared drone footage of a sphere recorded in the Middle East in 2022 flying through oh. the frame. Uh, you can click on this link if you want. It's a 30-second video with no sound. Um, okay. Essentially, what you see, and again, this will be a link in the show notes, um, this is footage from a drone flying over a village or something in the Middle East. And you see what, to my eyes, looks like a metal sphere maybe the size of a basketball. Although, of course, it's notoriously hard to gauge sizes in these things. Yeah. Um, fly through the frame and the camera quickly moves to track it as it flies past as far as i can tell the thing is following a straight line it looks like it's moving faster than the wind right it doesn't look like a balloon drifting in the wind it looks like it's moving under propulsion although in a straight line it doesn't yeah. seem to deviate it doesn't seem to do anything it just it's there it flies through um huh. I don't know. It's weird. Um, and this is, is the one weird. I was talking about where he showed this and he's like, look, this is all the information we have. And it's going to yeah. be virtually impossible to identify based on that. You know? Yeah. Wow. That's, that is weird. It's like too slow to be any kind of munition too small to have uh, propulsion. Like, What a mm -hmm. weird thing. And it Very looks weird it looks more certain than like some artifact or whatever. Yeah. Now I will do a quick detour here and say metal spheres have become an increasingly common report, especially around battlefields. I don't know what to make of this. And my perception has always been that they were too small to have passengers on board. Um, yeah. Again, it's hard to gauge size. This one looks too small to have a passenger. Um, yeah. But if the military is tracking these things all over the planet, suddenly the paper that he wrote with Abby Loeb, where he talked about a mothership coming through and releasing a cloud of spore-like drones to surveil the planet, yeah. um, makes a little more sense. Like, if these are yeah. not craft but are more like survey drones using a technology we don't understand it makes a little more it's still weird i don't know man it doesn't fit into the kind of narrative of you know aliens flying saucers coming through but you know like i don't see how anyone on the planet could make that there is there's yeah. no propulsion there's no thermal exhaust there's no thrusters there's no propellers yeah. there's no wings like what's keeping this up e even ignoring the fact that it doesn't do any unusual maneuvering or appear to break the laws of physics it right it's breaking the laws of physics just by flying <laughs> like i don't right. understand by not slowing down and <laughs> yeah because like you can travel that um if there was no drag you could actually orbit at that altitude but you'd have to be going very quickly and there would have to be no drag like so right there we've got a got an issue <laughs> so 
after the uh, after the drone footage that he mm -hmm. shared, uh, he shared another video. Um, this one I'm not going to talk about or link to because okay. he debunked it. <laughs> it showed a <laughs> okay. uh, thermal camera of another drone flying past, and then this anomalous thing zips through the frame. And it looks weird. Um, and he basically breaks down that they were able to go through this footage frame by frame mm -hmm. and prove that it was a sensor anomaly uh, mm. of a recording of a commercial aircraft. Um, okay. But he kind of, and, and he explains it in the presentation. He says, I'm including this to show you the kinds of things that we're dealing with, right? Like we get these things, they may look anomalous, but once you dig into it with the proper experts, you can kind of find out sometimes there's nothing to it. This is yeah. one of the cases that we were able to uh, determine ultimately was not anomalous, even though it looks anomalous. Um, so he then started talking about the process. And this, I think, is really interesting. One of the questions he asked is, um, you know, so we've got these two videos that just shared you. They don't have a lot of data. Um, so he says, so how are we going to get more data? He says, well, we're working with the joint staff to issue guidance to establish reporting requirements, timeliness, and all of the data that is required to be delivered to us and retained from mm -hmm. all associated sensors. And right. he made it clear this was going to be happening across all branches of the military. This is going to be new joint guidance, not like, hey, please do this. Like, no, if you see something anomalous, you have to give us the pilot testimony the video camera testimony, the thermal camera, the, you know, radar mm. tracks, like everything. It has to be retained in the proper states and delivered to us. And then he says that historically has not been the case. And sure, it's been yeah. happenstance that the data has been collected. This is the first time I've felt some sympathy for him. He mm -hmm. and other people have complained in the past about like, oh, it's so hard to look at the historical cases because there's no data. Oh. Yeah, but right. they always made it sound like it was like, oh, well, we've got this fancy new radar and that's with the old radar. It's yucky. No, what he's yeah. saying is like, there is no radar. There's like a handy cam footage that someone's been carrying around for 30 years. And now right. that there are reporting mechanisms, they're reporting it. And what are we going to do with this? Nothing. Right. Um, now, he did say when things are not identifiable, that doesn't mean they throw the data out. He talked about doing okay. things and he kind of glossed over question. this. So forgive me if I gloss over this. He talked about doing like a large language learning model where like. Yeah you can look for trends over time. Like, oh, we're seeing that most of the reports are round and have no mm. thermal signature and stuff like that. But he didn't really get into details about how that would work other than even a case that is not identifiable can still be valuable in contributing to the larger data set. Sure. Over time, yeah. we may get better clarity on a future case that retroactively enables us to identify an earlier case. So yeah. we're keeping everything. Um, at this point, he's kind of done with this thing and Gillibrand asks him, what are your current numbers? You know, in the UAP hmm. report that came out a while ago, you said there were 300 some odd cases and about half of them were balloons. And he did something really interesting. He said, 
as of this week, we're tracking 650 cases. And then he says, but I want to clarify something. He said, in the earlier report, when we said half of them were balloons, we didn't mean they had been conclusion drawn that they were balloons. Hmm. What we're talking about is in our process, the step one is sorting the cases into likely buckets. This is likely a balloon. This is likely a bird. This is likely a weather phenomenon. This is likely a drone. We don't know. It's just best guess. They have not been investigated at that point. They've just been an initial sort has been done. Yeah, right. Then we prioritize how we investigate. I mentioned earlier, you know, like a balloon versus a balloon with a payload versus something that's maneuvering. Um, Something that looks like a threat to a military installation is going to get higher priority than something that was flying around but didn't really do anything. Um, Hmm. So makes me really want to prioritize which 30 they they worked on. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So he, you know, they prioritize the cases. Then this is where it gets really interesting. He says he has two separate teams, each of which are given the data packet for the case. um, And they're doing competitive analysis. One team is from the intelligence community and one is non-intelligence community, uh, specifically science and engineering with experience in building the kind of sensors that we use on military platforms. Cool. Um, as a result, they're bringing with them different backgrounds and different ways of viewing it. The intelligence yeah. community brings with them all their tradecraft, all the way that they evaluate intel from other countries and are looking at right. things from that perspective. The science guys are looking at it from, you know, is this a sensor anomaly? Is there a way we yeah, can explain right. what we're seeing here based on, oh, actually, you didn't know this, but if you're making a high G turn, the camera behaves in this way and that, right. you know, something like that. He says, they both come back with a report. He says, if they agree, it's highly likely that I will sign off on their agreement and that becomes the case recommendation. If they don't agree, he says, then it's my job to adjudicate and I will bring the two teams together. And <laughs> This reminds me a lot of planning poker, like, Everybody gives their number. And then if you've got two people at two extremes, okay, I want you two to talk. What puts you guys at odds? Like, let's, let's see if we can get to the middle. So we bring them together. If they can agree, great. We make an agreement. If not, then we're going to keep adjudicating until we can figure something out. Once they (laughs) agree and we get a case recommendation that gets sent off to a third group, the senior tech advisory group which is a separate team for a peer review. So basically he Mm. views it as the competitive analysis results in, I guess he would think of it as like a scientific paper, but like a case report that goes off to the senior team for peer review. If they agree, then it is published and he can close the case. Um, Is it, is it actually published? Well, so that's the interesting thing. He says, once we have a public web portal, we can put the declassified ones there. In the meantime, all of them are going up on our classified web portal. And you can kind of see Gillibrand like set up straight at that point. Uh (laughs) He gave a few numbers. He said, of the 650 
open cases, 20 to 30 are about halfway through analysis, and a handful have been closed. Yeah. That is the first time we've gotten any numbers on how their process is going. Because the first report they gave us was just, we have this many cases. Yeah, we've well, now we know a little bit more, next level of, okay, we have this many cases, we are investigating this many, and we have closed yeah. this many. So yeah. a handful have sense. successfully made it all the way through, 20 or 30 are actively under investigation. The rest of them are sitting in the backlog after the initial sort. He said he does expect this to get faster, both as they get better at it, but also as their budget increases and they can hire more yeah. people. Um and then he dropped another really interesting nugget. He said, you'll see more of this in our next annual report, which we expect to release in June or July. Uh-huh. That's early. Maybe right? the, the last one 13th. was... Yeah, when did the last one come out? It was 2022 UAP report was... Oh my god, we just talked about this. Wait, no, the UAP report came out in like January. Yeah, yeah. It was supposed to be earlier. Yeah. Um, It was supposed to be Halloween. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it got delayed and delayed and delayed. So now he's saying like, no, we're expecting to put it out in June or July, which is uh, wild. That's awesome. So we might have a new UAP report soon, which, based on what he just said, I would expect to be an update on last year's yeah. report. Right. So yeah. that UAP report, I think he is viewing as the output of his office is case evaluation. And again, that idea of we want to turn UAP into SEP. I yeah, think right. he mentions the idea that ideally, long term, you don't need Arrow. If I do my job right, yeah. someday you shut this office down because the reporting procedures and processes that we've established are just accepted and adopted throughout sure. all the other branches. You don't need yeah. a coordinating office. You can always aim for that. Um, uh, yeah. So does, do you think that lines up with Gary Nolan's statement about it being like July 13th or whatever? Who knows, right? Yeah, it's, it's intriguing. Uh, I got the impression Gary was more talking about whistleblowers going public via some oh, okay. mechanism, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah. He, he, of course, did not say. That's me reading into it based on the context yeah. of the conversation. But yeah, yeah. maybe okay. he knew. Oh, yeah, the next UAP report's out in July. And yeah. <laughs> that's what we'll be talking about. <laughs> yeah, interesting. All right, so we're almost done here. Uh, okay. There's one more thing he said that a few people seized on. He said, part of what we have to do when we evaluate cases that show signatures of advanced technical capabilities. He said, and I want to stress, we're talking about single percentages of the entire data set. Sure. So most of the data set does not show advanced technical capabilities. So we are not talking about, you know, 10% of the cases are Tic Tacs. We're talking like 1% to 3% or something like that. Yeah. Um, one of Part of what we have to do when we evaluate these cases is determine if there's a foreign nexus. That's really hard if what we observe doesn't have like a Russian or a Chinese flag on the side of it. (laughs) However, I think it is prudent to say that I am concerned about what that nexus is 
and I have concerning indicators that some are related to foreign abilities. Mm. Okay. Now, there is a contingent out there that is always eager to jump on the idea, like, see, there's no UFOs. He said that we have no evidence of ETs, and he said he's worried that it's foreign powers. So yeah. there you go. All the drones are Chinese. Case closed. And, like, that's not what he said. That is a possible yeah. read of what he said. But he did right. not come out and say that. So I don't think it's case closed yet. I do think he is pumping the brakes a bit on public expectation. I think he is extremely aware that the entire UFO community worldwide is watching what he does. Yeah. The Congress and Senator Gillibrand in particular is watching him like a hawk. And I wouldn't be surprised if behind the scenes there were these members of the DOD who uh, do not want this to move forward, who are putting pressure on him to downplay it and minimize it as much as he can. Sure. And I think being a scientist, it's pretty easy for him to water things down and say things like, well, the data doesn't support that. Uh, we're not seeing evidence of that. Without having to say it's not true, it's not happening, he can just say, well, we've only got 600 cases and we've only investigated 30, but sure yeah none of them were aliens <laughs> yeah hmm. right. and so i just want to see their sorry. published findings like i want to oh yeah i want to know those like i guess you said they're they're all confidential right now um, well, so that brings me to the next thing. So Senator Gillibrand, remember I said she kind of sat up yeah, straight yeah, yeah. and mentioned the public-facing web portal. So she asked him, she's like, have you submitted a public-facing website product to your superiors? And he says, yes, I submitted that before Christmas. She said, have you heard an estimate on when they will respond? No. We will offer a letter to your superiors asking for that time of <laughs> response. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yep. it's funny because I think everyone expected this to look like Gillibrand raking him over the coals. And instead, it felt a lot more like a protective mom asking, yeah. like, are they taking care of you? Are you yeah, getting everything you need? Because I will go down to that office today. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. So she she talked about the funding. Um, he punted a little bit on the funding. He's like, well, you know, you'd have to take that up with the DNI. She asked specifically about Moultrie and uh -huh. whether he has been able to report to the DNI directly or whether he's or to the SECDAF directly or whether Moultrie is getting in the way. And he kind of avoided answering. He's like, well, you know, they're still working out the processes. So, you know, I'd encourage you to talk to the DOT about that. <laughs> like, oh. He did not throw Moultrie under the bus, but he did not come out and say, like, yeah, everything's hunky dory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, they talked about the public facing web portals. She asked about the um, the mechanism for the public to contact him, um, mm -hmm. and it was the same answer, right? Like that's part yeah. of the public web portal. Now you've worked with large enterprise organizations before yep. on websites. I can only imagine that with military properties, it's even oh, worse. God, where like right? it's not as simple as spinning up an Apache box somewhere, right? Like. You got to right. jump through 8 million hoops, proven need. Everything's yeah. got to be sourced and approved. And like, so, it's so I don't think necessarily they're stonewalling like, him on this, no. but I do think uh, he has not been bumped to the top of the priority list for getting a website. 
and yeah. Senator Gillibrand is gonna kick some butts until that happens. <laughs> yeah, it's it's way worse than you think. We have to do some of that oh, at I my work. It. It's uh, yeah, the worst. Yeah, right. So yeah, the last thing that happened is she she asked about you know the the way for whistleblowers to get in touch with him, and yeah. he said. He specifically said something really interesting. He said he thanked the committee for referring witnesses to Arrow for interviews, and he asks them to continue doing so until they have a public website to make contact. Yeah, there you go. I'm actually really glad he said this because it answers some of the questions we had about are they cherry picking witnesses? Why don't they have a public web portal? But basically, it's a procurement problem. He doesn't have a yeah. public website. He doesn't have a way for people to reach him. He wants there to be, but it doesn't yeah. exist yet. So in the meantime, Congress has been referring certain witnesses to Makes him. Makes sense. Um, and he was very clear. He wants to hear from more people. You know, he's limited by staff and time and not having a public website. But in the meantime, please do keep sending people my way. So, But he didn't put his cell phone number in there. Which would have been. Yep. It's true. A mess. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, so I, I don't know, imagine. man. Um, it was it was a big hearing. It was interesting. Yeah. Um, there are there are people who are mad who think it was a nothing burger, as always. Yeah. There are people who are desperately trying to find every little nugget of things to get yeah. excited about in there. Um, there are people who view this as just part of the ongoing obfuscation. I the narrative that I see here is again this is a new office that is under a yeah. lot of competing pressures. We know there are factions in the DOD who I don't think it's as simple as they want to keep it secret, but I do think it's they don't want to talk about this. Whether it's yeah. because there's nothing to it and they think it's embarrassing or because it's a national secret and they're worried somebody's going to stumble on it, but for whatever reason mm. there is a contingent in the Pentagon who very badly wants this topic to go away. There are also people who very badly want the truth to come out. We've got Congress yeah. who are pissed, largely it seems because they told the military to do something, they aren't doing it. Um, and I think we're seeing all of that come together in this hearing. So yeah. the answer to, is this hearing everything we expected is no, but I think partly that's because people didn't know what the hearing was. And I think they could have saved us a lot of time by releasing the actual title of the hearing, which uh, I can now see because when I went to watch the hearing, it has a dedicated page on the armed services website. And it hmm. says open closed session to receive testimony on the mission activities, oversight and budget of the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, which, hey, yep. that tells yeah. you very clearly what the hearing was about. And that's what it was about, is Senator yeah. Gillibrand getting an update from her boy yeah. on how the new office is going. It was not the place to yeah. hear whistleblower testimony. It was not the place to find out that Biden lied to us about the balloon they shot down in Alaska. It was right. not the place to find out about crash heroes. It was the place to find out is that bully job. at the DOD keeping you from doing your job because it's I will go talk up. to his mother. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was a stand-up. Yeah, exactly. Um, so all that said, you know, it kind of comes back to what Ross is saying, that this is step one. There's going to be yeah. more. We expect more hearings. And if he's right, 
we might be seeing in June both a House committee hearing on this, which hopefully, you know, the members of the House are a little more buck wild. They're they're a little more willing to be like, have you read the Wilson memo? <laughs> I want this put into testimony. <laughs> you know? yeah, uh, and we might get a new UAP office report. So who yeah. knows, man? Could be an exciting yeah. summer. And maybe Gary no one's yeah. right. Maybe uh, there'll be big news that'll change the world by the end of the summer. Yeah, who knows? Uh, uh, that's interesting. The I don't I don't think we'll see a new uh, Arrow report. That seems too early. But I do like seeing... <laughs> it feels really optimistic, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, I, I think... I don't know if this follows any, like, standard one of our reports. It's like, yeah, okay, you say it's in July, but it's not going to be until, like, January, maybe. Um, but I like, wonder if there's a little bit of people were so mad about how late it was the first time yeah. around. If this is a little bit of, like, oh, okay, yeah. look, we are on it. And also, yeah. it's a little weird that the scheduled date for the annual report is Halloween. I got to imagine there's yeah. some perception of this delegitimizes it a little bit so maybe this is him trying to reset the schedule like mm. no we're gonna put it out in the summer every year yeah who knows though yeah 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 that makes sense um this so like when i when i look at like groups that are forming within my company or within other things that i see like this is a little slower but it's actually not that far off schedule for like no. what i would expect a group of 36 to be kind of getting towards at this point like they've got an infographic oh, they've got a handful of results yeah. like that's you know well and more incredible they have a process yeah right nine months that takes to a while spin up a scientific peer-reviewed mechanism yeah. for evaluating cases prioritizing yeah. them you know competitive analysis yeah. all of that like, that's, that's like, good that's not nothing like knowing yeah. that there's a process, honestly, I feel a lot better about that. Am I a little disappointed yeah. that he was like, there's no ETs and it might be yeah. China? Yeah, sure. for sure. But again, the thing we've said the whole time is the weird thing is not that it might be aliens. The weird thing is that the government has just been steadfastly putting their fingers in their yeah. ear and closing their eyes and going, there's nothing there. La, 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 la. Yeah. I would yeah. rather that they take it seriously and dig into it and maybe... I personally am disappointed that they're not aliens, but we get an answer for what the hell is going on. Yeah. I just, I, every time I think about like those, those software teams that try and have like zero errors and the amount of time they spend tracking down, like just total nonsense errors. And it feels like mm -hmm. it, it, to me, it doesn't sound like the government putting their fingers in their ears, but just being like, Oh, God, I don't do we really have to deal with all these reports? Yeah. Like they're so obviously every bird that someone sees. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I there it is handy to have an SRE team that's like, yeah, all right, we'll mm -hmm. we'll classify these and we'll take a look and we'll see if there's like something right. actually to it. Um, it feels like yeah. that's what arrow is. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But now that said, I do go back to what we're hearing from the community. You know, I said it before, there's a lot of smoke for there to be no fire. We are hearing across the board about testimony from many different witnesses that there are crash retrieval and reverse engineering programs. And I would be shocked if that was not a big part of the narrative this year, 
Maybe it wasn't for this hearing, but I think we're going to see something come of that. I have lots of thoughts about that, but it, I'm ready for that, though. Like, let's do that. Let's get in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird topic. It's a weird topic for sure. Oh, for yeah. Sure. I, I've, oh, man, the, the fucking instant there's anything I can talk about, you better believe that's what I will be bringing you. Right now, it's all just hearsay and rumors. Oh, man, I, I know that the second that happens, I'm going to get a text bomb from you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm waiting for it. Holy shit, Chuck, it happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that about does it for today. Uh, as always, everybody, thank you for listening. And Chuck, thank you for listening to me talk about UFOs so my wife doesn't have to. <laughs>